0: The word of the Lord.
1: As we prepare to hear from God's word, please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our rock, in our Redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church: I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, before we get started, uh, as as Jonathan read and read beautifully, thank you, Jonathan. I'm I'm reminded that uh, our our friend Aaron here, uh, late last year, he 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 came to me and he said, you know what I love about the Dana Island Fellowship. He's like, you guys read like whole chapters of of Scripture and people keep coming back. New people. Yes, we sometimes do. And, uh, you know, here's where we're at in the journey of this church. We've been working through the book of Philippians through the fall and then early into 2018. And and this is our last week on the book of Philippians. And next week, we're, we're shifting our attention to the book of Mark and to who... Jesus is and what he calls us to. And uh, the title of the message today is Trusting in Greatness. And I want to begin this, this moment, this message with a question. Have you ever longed to be an insider? Have you ever wanted to be an insider? Back in 2011, I was invited to London with a group from across the United States, actually several groups from across the United States, to be an insider, if you will, with the Church of England. You see, they were reimagining, revisioning how they raise up church planners, and they created a whole new theological institution, not apart from kind of the church planning network at Holy Trinity Brompton, but at the very heart of church planning. For those that don't know, in the Church of England, over half of their clergy, I was told, uh, were going to retire in the next five years. 50% of the churches were losing their clergy. There was a dire need, a desperate need, both there and here, to raise up church planners for the next generation of churches. And for some reason, I was invited to bring a group from Greenwich, Connecticut, um, I guess they were involved in, uh, we were involved in different grad schools and leadership development. And so we were invited to see and participate with the Holy Trinity Brompton Network of Churches on how they're revisioning church planning and raising up leaders. And we were invited to be insiders and visit special places around London. Our first trip, we were invited to have dinner at Lambeth Palace. And then on this specific trip I'm going to mention here, we were invited to first Start with a tour of the British Library. Did you know in the British Library, some of the oldest Bibles in the world are secured in back secret chambers? It's beautiful. Beyond that, we are invited to go to worship services at Holy Trinity Brompton and meet with their leadership. We're invited to go to St. Paul's Cathedral. Anyone been to St. Paul's Cathedral in London? Raise your hand. It's gorgeous. After worship at St. Paul's, we are invited to go across the street to the old deanery to have a a meal with the Bishop of London. And if you guys remember, something special happened in the spring of 2011 with the Bishop of London. He married two pretty well-known people, William and Kate, and he presented the gospel to the world. You know, it was a special day. I, I didn't wake up early to watch it, but some of you might have. So we had lunch with him, and then we were invited to tour the uh, the Churchill War Rooms. Anyone been there, done that? I think there's a movie even out about his life during the World War II setting. We're invited to be insiders. And as we went on our first stop to the British Library, I'm throwing up some images of the British Library just so you get a feel. The British Library is this modern building. It's somewhat controversial because it's a modern building holding old artifacts, if you will, old books and such. And and so there's a picture of the modern architecture. And then if you've been into the British Library, there's this gorgeous reading room that's a dome, and there's stacks and stacks, shelves and shelves of old books. But then if you're an insider, you, you get invited to these secret rooms. And in the secret room, we were invited into, I think there were three Bibles in front of us. One was Henry VIII's personal Bible, we were told. If you know anything about the Reformation, that's a big deal. The other, this one right here, we were told was Tyndall's first translation of the Bible into English. And if you know the risk that that took, lives were lost in this kind of dark period of the church, which is known as the Reformation in the 1500s. And we were looking at this first translation into English. And so as we moved into the room and we saw these old Bibles, this one gentleman from the corner, he stepped forward. And he started started teaching about the Bibles. And he started telling us about the history of the church. And there's two reformations that happened. There's the English Reformation, which from that comes Anglicanism. And then there's the Continental Reformation. From that comes groups like the Presbyterians. Did you know that? And he's teaching us. And then, and then awkwardly, this woman also in the back, she says, sir, can you please step away from the Bibles?" You know, the great twist in the story is the guy teaching about the Bibles was just an American pastor that was so excited to be in the British library looking at these old books. He was a kind of a a nerd, if you will, but he was an insider maybe for the first time in that regard. He wasn't a curator, but it was so fantastic. It was one of those moments where you just could see how excited he was. His his joy was palpable. He was an insider in that moment. And, you know, I think if we're all honest, we all long to be insiders in life. There was a young gal here earlier today, and she walked in, and she was wearing a, a Brady, Tom Brady jersey. And she's like, yeah. And just imagine if that young lady, who's passionate enough to wear a Patriots you know, shirt into the DI Fellowship in Charleston, South Carolina, imagine if she was able to just jump on a call and hear Belichick and Brady planning for today. Right? We may or may not have Vikings fans who said, hey, I may or may not have come to church to pray for my team today. Imagine if you guys were in, you know, in those huddles today that you were insiders. Turning back to our passage, these are some of the last words and breaths of the Apostle Paul that we're given. And here's what I think he says to us as he said to the Philippians. The secret to life is embracing that we are insiders in Jesus Christ. He's saying followers of Jesus, the key, the word he uses, the secret to life is that you are in with Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he, he, I think he makes three kind of bold points to them and to us. He says, number one, as an insider, number one, you're called to greatness. Number two, we can trust in greatness. And number three, Philippians, Daniel Island Fellowship, we can fuel greatness. So we're just going to spend a few minutes unpacking these three points. Point number one, we are called to greatness. The Apostle Paul writes it like this. Finally, to sum it up, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worth of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Whatever's true, beautiful, good, pursue these things. Put into practice that which you've seen and heard. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a backdrop to this text. We like to say in our church, a text without context is no text at all. So here's the interesting thing. If you're living in that day and you're reading Paul's words, he's actually pulling a trump card with rhetoric of that day. Some of you, if you went to liberal arts colleges, had philosophy classes. Some of you might be lay philosophers. I don't know. Some of you may have majored in philosophy. And you would know what Paul's talking about here. For in that Greco-Roman time, Pluto, excuse me, Pluto. (laughs) Not a Disney movie. (laughs) Plato had four virtues. And these, these virtues were taught and taught. If you live into these virtues you'll live a virtuous life. You'll live an excellent life. Aristotle had 12 virtues. If you live into these 12 virtues, you'll have an excellent life. You'll find what Paul goes on to say is contentment. And so what Paul's doing here is using language of the day. He's, he's creating a list, a, a representative list of how we're called to live. But what he's doing is he's, he's pulling a trump card Notice in chapter four, verse eight, it starts finally to sum it up. Do these things. Pursue these things. You see, for the Christian, pursuing excellence or virtue is not about proving something, but it's about revealing someone, Jesus Christ. You see, For Paul, in chapters 3 and early in 4, he's saying, I want to know Christ. I want to abound in Christ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what he's saying is, your foundation in motivation in life is based on Christ as a believer of Jesus Christ. These others, with their stoicism, with their Greco-Roman philosophy, they're pulling up their bootstraps. They're white-knuckling it. And he's saying, guys, you don't have to do that anymore. But that doesn't mean how you live and who we are uh, doesn't matter. He's saying, actually, you're called to the most excellent of living. You're called to reveal Jesus Christ with your very life. Butch, you're called to greatness. Earlier in chapter 1, if you were with us in the fall, we read these words. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And if you remember, there's actually... Uh, no verb in the original language. So Paul, as a motto, is saying, to live, Christ. To die, gain. To live, Christ. To die, gain. That was his mantra for living. Later in chapter 2, he'd say, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here's what this means. We're not just supposed to receive this grace in our hearts. We're supposed to demonstrate this grace with our lives. Practice these things, Paul is saying, at his, you know, with his last words, you're called to greatness. One of the wonderful things about being the lead pastor here and planting this church is hearing God change lives, change hearts, grip lives, and through them change other lives, impact communities, impact our city and our world. Last week, um, I received a testimony, if you will, of a young man, Samuel Frampton, and he's somewhere here. And I think Sam Samuel's a sophomore, is that Right. A junior, excuse me. And he and his dad have begun uh, participating in this ministry that our church is partnered with called Hope for Repair. And Pastor Jim and some other men and their sons are going once a month with other people around Charleston, and they're going to the poorest of the poor in our city. Some people that don't have electricity, some people that don't have modern plumbing, some people that don't have heat, they don't have roofs. And I saw a picture, and I know Cody Quinn, our director of students, was with Samuel last week. And and I saw a picture, that's Samuel, looking under this kind of dilapidated house and helping put in plumbing. And what this picture doesn't show is what was right next to Sam, which was raw sewage. Our Samuel is down on his knees putting into practice the grace of Jesus Christ, pursuing that which is most excellent and praiseworthy for this poor woman that can't provide for herself. Samuel, thank you for demonstrating greatness in Christ. And I want everyone in here to know, no matter your background, no matter your means, you're called to greatness in Christ. We are called to greatness In Christ, not to prove something, but to demonstrate something, to reveal someone. So let me ask this. In 2018, I want to invite you to think, how am I uniquely called to greatness in Christ? How can I pursue these things, be it by myself or with those I love, with my community group? We've challenged all of our community groups to try to live out kind of one missional outward focus in what they do. One missions project, some way, shape, or form. Church, we're called to greatness. Point number two, we can trust in greatness. Paul writes these words I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret. Of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through, or a more literal translation, in Him who strengthens me. In Jesus, we're called in, we're made insiders. This is the only time from my study in the Bible that this language of being the secret. This is the secret. At the end of his life, he's saying, church, this is the secret. Tune in. No matter if you have a lot, if you have a little, if you have a full belly or an empty belly, full relationships or you're longing for relationship, no matter what you faced, you can do all things in Jesus who strengthens you. I think we all need to hear this because you know what? Life's unpredictable, isn't it? How has your early 2018 shaped up? Let me just be a little vulnerable. Um, There's some highs and lows in my own life. 2018 uh, has been, it started with a huge bang. Why? Because our church, we, we rallied together and we finished strong in every way, shape, or form. We finished strong, I'll get to that in just a minute. But we finished strong. And then our future is strong. There's so many things in the works. So many leaders, young and old, rising up, living into this greatness. If you're around us and you just talk to people about what God's doing in their lives here, it's incredible. And then, of course, we had Snowmageddon, right? It was so amazing until it wasn't. But it was so amazing it was five or six inches of snow. Sergio's out taking pictures around Smythe Lake. You've got a good eye, Serge. You know, we were playing in the snow. And then school was canceled for like 88 days. <laughs> Not really, but it was canceled a long time, right? Can I get an amen, parents? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then during Snowmageddon, Sorensen International, my whole family got the flu. And we were out. And, uh, and it really hit us, and it hit some of you. In fact, Cody, hey, Cody, Cody's not our uh, AV guy. He's filling in because the person who's supposed to run sound has the flu. We said, don't come here. <laughs> and so it hit us. And then, as you can see on this list, in early 2018, I've lost two of my spiritual fathers. It's been a sobering beginning to my year. Um, I lost first my great-uncle Bert. Uh, Some of you know my story. Both my grandfathers struggled with alcohol and really having relationships with us. So one of their brothers stepped in as the patriarch of our family, and Bert changed my life. I mean, let let me tell you how he impacted my life. He started bringing all of our families, extended to this Christian camp called Camp of the Woods in upstate New York, it's through his influence I ended up at the Macaulay School, which was the boarding school I went to in Chattanooga. It's through his influence I ended up at Wheaton College, where I met my wife and I felt a call to church planning. And ironically, even before moving back, um, excuse me, moving down to Charleston, I was running a nonprofit in Greenwich, Connecticut, and one of my mentors found out about this Bert, and he's like, wait, is that Bert Sorensen, Goldman Sachs, and all? Yeah. Oh, he discipled me in the 80s. This guy's impact on my life and the life of others is huge. And he passed away in early January. And then uh, one of my heroes of church planning and my former boss, Chuck Murphy, lost his battle with cancer about two weeks ago. He modeled the faith. He modeled kind of bold leadership for Christ and his kingdom. Life is unpredictable. How about for you? What Paul is saying here is no matter life's extremes, he's using extreme language through plenty or want, no matter life's extremes, we're safe and we're strong in Jesus Christ. You're an insider. And of course, Paul could speak of this. In chapter 3, he shared of his seven accolades. He was a superstar, he was like in the Hall of Fame of the Jewish faith before he came to Christ. And then we read these words from 2 Corinthians. Five times since he became a believer in a church planter, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, unfrequent journeys in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger, 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 he's saying. I know what it means to struggle. I know what it means to suffer, but I have learned the secret. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. You know, something that caught my eye, and I think it's really pertinent to an American, frankly, and to our church He doesn't just talk about being low and, you know, in my weakness, you know, I can find strength. He mentions over and over again, through plenty, I have found the secret of contentment. So what's that all about? We've touched on this before at our church, but it's worth revisiting. You know, the irony, it's often harder to find contentment if you have plenty, if you have lots of wealth. Paul would write these words to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. John Calvin, one of the reformers, he had this to say, he who knows how to use present abundance abundance soberly and temperately with thanksgiving with thanksgiving, prepared to part with everything whenever it may please the Lord, giving also a share to his brother according to his ability and is also not puffed up. That man has learned to excel and to abound. This is an excellent and rare virtue and much greater than the endurance of poverty, he says. Paul's point is this. Nothing you have and nothing you will face compares to the power that's yours in Christ Jesus alone. Some of you really need to hear this because you're facing hard stuff right now, or you've got everything and you're kind of bored. Is this it? By the end of Paul's life, all of his power rests not in himself, but in, in whom he trusts with everything, his all and his everything, which is Jesus Christ. So in 2018, we're called to trust in greatness. The greatness, quote, of Him who strengthens me. Point number three, we can fuel greatness. He says, It was kind of you to share. The word is quenania, to partner. If you guys were with us in the fall, this word means to fellowship. It was kind of you to fellowship in the gospel with me, to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left uh, Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied etc, etc, etc. You see, when the gospel took root in this little church in Philippi, it unleashed unparalleled, unparalleled generosity for Paul and his mission in the global church. Here's the bottom line. This was a little church of outsiders. This was the first church in Europe. It was towards the Gentiles. They're still a young church, but we're reading about them today. Why? They fueled the mission of the gospel. They fueled greatness. This was Paul speaking specifically in this context about his second missionary journey. Another way of saying it is they had become a church planning hub. They helped others multiply the gospel. They supported Paul Along the way, do you guys remember a story uh, of little Zacchaeus from Luke 19? For those that don't know this story, it's a cool—it's a cool story, and I say little because the Bible says he was little. And so, Luke 19, there's this—you know—this tax collector, and he was somewhat a thief in his profession, but he heard about the movement of God in Jericho. And he wanted to get close to Jesus because he heard there was power coming from this man. And he couldn't get close, so what did he do? Serge, do you remember? He climbed a tree. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I'm going to fellowship with you. He calls him by name. It's radically personal. It's radically powerful. And Z- Zacchaeus immediately experienced life change in Jesus. And he throws this dinner with all these quote-unquote sinners, all these outsiders. But he had become an insider. Do you remember what Zacchaeus immediately did? What he immediately said? He said, Jesus, basically, I'm a changed man. Half of what I have, I now give to the poor. Those people I've defrauded, I'm going to repay them back fourfold. Fourfold. He didn't just receive the gospel, he was committed to fueling the gospel, to demonstrating the gospel, advancing it with his very life. The same is true of the church in Philippi, and here's the deal. It's not just true for little Zacchaeus. Little Zacchaeus went from being little Zacchaeus to huge Zacchaeus in that moment. Think about it. That's what one theologian likes to say and this is his story, this is the Philippians story, but here's the thing, this is our story. We're not only called to greatness individually, and we're not only called to trust in greatness, in him alone, we're called to fuel greatness, and we're doing it. You're doing it, we're doing it. I just wanna celebrate some of the big picture things that are happening in our church. This fall, we shifted to two services. Why? So that we could make space for new people in our church. Here's a, I want to I take a test or a measure. How many were in this church, excuse me, how many are new to this church as of a year ago? Raise your hand. Okay, that's quite a few. We wanted to create space for you and we need and want to create space for others to encounter this good news in Jesus Christ. Beyond that, last summer, after months and months of due diligence, we were presented with an opportunity to buy just under eight acres of land. Anyone remember our time frame, Steve? Three weeks. Three weeks we had to purchase eight acres of land. Did we do it? We did it. We said, let's put a stake in the ground, not just for now, but for the not yet of the gospel. We can see what is yet to come. We can see the people, the families, the kids coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the building that has yet to be built. Beyond that, here's this crazy story. A typical church plant in a city, according to our church planning partners, Redeemer City to City, a typical church in our kind of, our situation, it takes five to seven years to become self-sustaining. You want to know what? We're about three, three and a half years in. Guess what? We met our budget at the end of 2017. We finished strong. You guys stepped up. You're fueling greatness. You're fueling mission. You're fueling the advance of the gospel. And then something you just might not know, but it's staggering. And I don't know of another church plant that's doing this kind of thing. How we've we've set up this space, we wanted to use the space not just to serve our church, but to serve the city and even those who serve our world. Since we've opened this space, the Holy City Collective, our leadership in our church has served over 92 organizations. 92 for a young church plant. Some of those organizations uh, I'll list right here. Apartment Life Ministries, Boy with a Ball International, Bread of Life Africa, City Life Charleston, a new church in North Mount Pleasant. Drawing Near to God Ministries, the Dream Center Clinic Charleston, Halos, uh, Journey Together Ministries, Life Resources, um, Mill Village Farms. uh, This is a twist of irony. Seacoast Church. Often, uh, you know, maybe quarterly, they come in. Do you know where they hold some of their planning huddles? Right in that room back there where our nursery is? Water Mission International, World Witness, Young Life Charleston. These are just a handful. Guys, we are fueling mission. The Philippians were committed to fueling mission, to, f- to fueling greatness, to be game changers, world changers. It didn't end with their generosity. It started. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were fueling Paul's missionary journeys, just as were are basically impacting our city and our world in the little opportunities that are presented to us. You know what Paul's saying? Keep on with it. Why? Because you can be sure, he says, that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Scott, church, we will never outgive God but we can reveal him we can join him we can advance the kingdom so in 2018 our church 2018 and far beyond our church is committed to fueling greatness i looked out at the kind of the 9am service and i saw this one student who's an eighth grader i cannot I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am for our church to pour into just the kids and the students in this church and and unleash them to be game changers in the gospel. I can't wait to hear more stories of Samuel Frampton. I cannot wait to hear more stories of deliverance from this or that, more healed marriages. And we're just beginning. So in conclusion... Just to summarize, Paul's basically saying, guys, the secret to life is getting it. Knowing, embracing, living that you're insiders with Jesus Christ. You're an insider, Mary. Kathy, you're an insider. And that changes everything. Friends, you're called to greatness. We can trust in greatness and we can fuel greatness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you so much for the boldness of the Apostle Paul and I thank you for the boldness even in this room, young and old. God, I pray that that we would live as insiders and it would change everything. That we would live to reveal you and trust you and fuel your mission. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst already. We pray in Jesus' name.